This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome in Late Kick is Live. It is Sunday night, March 6th, the Armor Lord 2022. Jam-packed, suspiciously jam-packed, especially for March. We are high atop downtown balmy nashville tennessee they're watching us colin jesse they're watching us in san antonio texas tonight they're watching in garfield georgia tonight raleigh north carolina even our friends in nassau and the bahamas tuned in you notice something that's changed especially over the last week if not the last couple of months and that's the tune people are singing about georgia football and i'm here to tell you that i don't really think all that much has changed at all i will present the evidence and boy do we ever have some evidence for you tonight also the ncaa in what has become all too typical fashion, has taken something plain as day, simple as can be, and fumbled it horrifically. And I'm talking about targeting, and I'm talking about, uh, well, a lot of stuff, but specifically targeting and faking injuries. They had a shot. Our friends in Indianapolis on the Rules Committee, they had a shot. They didn't get the job done. We will discuss tonight. You probably, you may have missed that over the span of the last week. Notre Dame Mood Tracker. We're going to hit that tonight. Also, we had a couple of questions. One of them is about LSU landing Jaden Daniels earlier today, and that's happened in the last couple of hours. We will hit on that, so don't worry, our friends down in Louisiana. But also, I had a question that I really never thought to answer. Jesse came to me and he said, hey, you know, some of this stuff you talk about on the show, some of these terms, like Renaissance season, for example, uh, we more than doubled our audience over the past six months. Some of these folks have no clue what you're talking about. And we actually got a question about that. So I'm going to explain some things towards the end of the show tonight to help it make a little more sense. You know, normally this is the time where I just dive right into the show. And I'm going to do it in 15 seconds. But I do have a specific thing to ask of you tonight. Normally it's generic. Follow me on Twitter at LateKickJosh. But I got a specific thing I want you to do. Our podcast numbers continue to go up. I thank you for that. I need you to do something. Because we have tens of thousands of people listening every episode I just need you to subscribe to the podcast. Nothing really changes there. It just helps us internally and it helps our numbers. Just subscribe to it. You may be on Spotify. You may be on Apple. You listen to the episodes. Keep doing that. Just subscribe. Nice little five-star review wouldn't hurt, but just subscribe to the pod. That's it. Thought it was going to be very complex. It's not. Ooh, Mike looks terrible on the t-shirt there. All right. That'll do. That'll do, pig. That'll do. Uh, Let's dive in tonight. Some things changing, aren't they? You notice this? Every time someone goes off and wins a national championship, the tune totally changes. Well, first, I want to talk about this with Georgia. Georgia football, things changing a lot, like the seasons. The sun's all of a sudden come up and everyone's shining on Georgia now. The NFL Combine's been happening in Indianapolis, which is a town that has been historically good to Georgia over the past three or four months. And shockingly, and I know you need to brace yourself for this, but one of the most historic defenses in the history of college football actually had some very good players on that defense. And if you were watching the NFL Combine, you saw Jordan Davis, for example, (laughs) which is, it's more alien than human. 6'6", 341, turned in a 47840. A lot of you think you could do that. A lot of you are listening to me right now. And you may be in high school, you may be in college, you may be just out of college, you know, you're 25 years old, you work 
at an accounting firm, but you played high school ball and you know, you're 6'1", you're 185, you work out three or four days a week, you're in good shape, you think you can do that? No, you can't. You can't run a sub 4840. You can't. I'm just telling you you can't. I don't want to ruin it for you. Also, Devontae Wyatt, not to be outdone, he turns in a 47740, he checks in at 6'3", 304. So again, should be illegal, but it turns out they're going to allow that in the NFL. Turns out Georgia was playing that all year long. They had those kinds of guys. Channing Tindall had good numbers, and Kobe Dean's a freak. We didn't need to see him in Indianapolis. Um, and they had all kinds of guys turning in incredible numbers. So 14 kids Georgia sends to the NFL Combine, which was a record, producer Jesse tells me, for this year. I don't really keep up with such things. I think Oklahoma was second with 11. So that's good. Hats off. Good for Kirby Smart for finally arriving at Georgia. I, of course, say that sarcastically because I don't believe that. But when you have a good combine and then you win a national championship a few months earlier than that, all of a sudden I get to listen to folks talk about how Georgia football is elite and I get to talk about how Kirby Smart's a genius now. And, and I really, I want to fill you in on something tonight that I don't think a lot of other programs are, but I just want to let you know something. I don't really think anything's changed about Georgia football over the past four months. I think they are who we thought they were. Maybe not a lot of folks, but we always thought they were. And I'm going to kind of talk in a couple of minutes about how some folks delayed reality for a solid four years when it comes to Kirby Smart and when it comes to Georgia. But all of a sudden, even though nothing's really changed, everybody thinks a lot's changed about Georgia. And you know what we call this? What we call this in college football is a classic she's all that scenario. And for those of you unfamiliar with the classic late 90s high school dramedy film, allow me to fill you in. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Here we have Lainey Boggs, played by Rachel Lee Cook. She's got glasses on. She's got overalls on, which is supposed to make me and Zach Seiler and everybody else at the high school there think that she's a monster. She's hideous. Why? Because ugh, glasses and, and well, um, glasses and and oof, she's wearing glasses. That's the before Rachel Lee Cook. Then all of a sudden, she pulls her glasses off, changes clothes, and she's a dime. She was already a dime, is the point. And so I want you to take a look at the before and the after. These are the same people. One of them has meatballs on her head. The other one's ready to go to prom. These are the same people. She already looked good. She didn't need to take the glasses off to look good. Georgia football was already an elite program. Kirby Smart in Georgia, they are Rachel Lee Cook. It's a classic she's all that scenario. They already were the hot girl in the room. It's just that now they've got a trophy to put in a trophy case and we get to update Kirby Smart's Wikipedia page and all of a sudden everyone that was floating around those edits saying he's no different than Mark Rick. Boy, those disappeared with Christmas lights around January 14th, didn't they? All of a sudden now, those same folks are trying to tell you Kirby Smart's arrived. Georgia's arrived. They haven't arrived. They did something they hadn't done. They achieved something they hadn't achieved. They've been operating at this level for a while. I think this is why people lose a lot of money gambling on football. Uh, it's why even up to and including at the administrative level in college and the general manager level in pro sports, people get fired constantly. You have coaching turnover and staff turnover constantly. Folks don't know how to interpret result. Result is just that. It's stuff that we can put on these fancy graphics if you're watching on YouTube. And it's stuff that, like I said, it goes on the Wikipedia page. Kirby Smart didn't change who he was internally as a coach over the span of four quarters in Indianapolis in January. Nor did Georgia football all of a sudden elevate themselves as a caliber of program because you saw a couple of 300 plus pounders run sub 4, 8, 5, 40s. Nothing changed 
This is a product. It's kind of like an assembly line. You know, you don't learn about the machine once the assembly line pushes something off of the conveyor belt. It has to exist as it is in order to produce the product that gets pumped off the conveyor belt. One doesn't come before the other. It's, it's kind of the other way around. But a lot of folks don't believe that you are a certain caliber of coach until you have achieved this win plateau or that win plateau or in Kirby Smart's case, you know, you're, you're going to be relegated. I never viewed this as a slight, but a lot of people said you're going to be relegated to being no better than Mark Richt until you, until you do what? Until you beat the greatest of all time? Like what, what an indictment. Kirby Smart, a few years into his head coaching career, dude's in his mid forties, can't beat the best of all time. Well, then all of a sudden he did that. Here's the reality. Some of you out there delayed accepting reality about Kirby Smart in Georgia for about four years. Because the reality is there's nothing all that different about what they just did in January and 2017. The outcome of the game was different, but the level that they were flying at, the caliber of coach Kirby Smart was nothing really different about him. I think he'd be the first to sit down and tell you that. Certainly there are things he's learned since then. Certainly there are probably tweaks he's made here and there in the program. They were operating at a really high level in 2017. He took Alabama without his best receiver, by the way, Javon Wims. He took them to overtime in a national championship game. And that ball is shaped in a funny manner. And that ball bounces in a funny manner. And the inches that make up the differences in wins and losses went Alabama's way that night. Didn't mean Kirby Smart was a different coach, but the reality, I think a lot of us know this, is, you know, if Devontae Smith drops that touchdown pass, or, or if Tua doesn't get the throw off, if Georgia ends up winning, what would it be, 23 to 20 in overtime there, Kirby's the same guy, but he would have been crowned four years ago. And the reality is, he was the same dude then he is now, and there was no magic elixir. I mean, this was not some invincible team in their own right. They got smoked by the same team they beat in the title game a month earlier in Atlanta. But all of a sudden now, because that scoreboard read the right way in January, all of a sudden now, Kirby Smart's arrived, that dude's elite, he's the cream of the crop, Georgia. Here's the one thing that changes. Georgia, even though I thought they already were, now everybody thinks that Georgia's the hot girl at the party. And the harsh reality is we never got a she's all that too. So I did not get to see how Rachel Lee Cook handled that. Did it go to her head? You know, did she become words we can't say on air? Or did she stay humble? Did she stick to the process? Did she throw the overalls right back on after prom, go back down in her dad's basement, and just keep painting? Uh, we don't know. Hollywood never gave us that. But we do get to see how Kirby Smart and Georgia will handle this, this alleged newfound success and, and newfound shine on this program. Hey, it's good for recruiting. Not that they needed it. It is good for recruiting. Looks great in the trophy case. This is a results-oriented business. I get that. I'm certainly not discounting winning a national championship. That's what we play the game for. I mean, that's what you compete at the highest level for. You ultimately want to reach a goal collectively as a team. And for Georgia, it, it ended in a national championship. I'm not arguing that that's insignificant. I'm arguing it didn't change who Kirby Smart is. It just may change the way that you introduce him at a public speaking engagement. Really, I just wanted to talk about Rachel Lee Cook, and we found an excellent way to do it. So if nothing else, Kirby Smart, I appreciate you for that, my friend. Uh, it was a nice weekend which is how I've teed up about the past three or four Academy ad reads, and I'm getting a little bit too predictable. So, you know, it's going to be a horrific week this week. It's going to have, uh, well, to me, it's great because we got a threat of tornado, so I get to go chase tomorrow. But for a lot of you, you'll be scared out of your mind. Well, I want to tell you something. This time of year, we call it spring, if not meteorological, then outright on the calendar spring. 
it never lasts long. The storms never last long. And usually you get the best weather right after some of these ugly lines of storms come through. Maybe even, Jesse, a QLCR, or as you might know it, a quasi-linear convective system comes through. More on that in the uh, probably the weather show that we debut uh, to air after Late Kick every night this, uh, this spring. But after that comes through, man, you got birds chirping, you got blue skies, uh, the pollen counts low. I don't even want to say that word, but it's coming, so I might as well acknowledge it. You got to be outdoors. What kind of psychopath stays indoors this time of year, especially when it's spring weather in the south, but eventually it'll, it'll reach you guys up in Iowa and Minnesota and up in the Dakotas. Get outside right after you go to Academy Sports and Outdoors. Right after, if you don't have one in your neck of the woods, you go to academy.com. See, here's the thing. I hope you enjoy the show, and that's why you're tuned in. I hope no one uh, is forcing you to watch this in prison somewhere. And if you respect the show, if you like the show, I appreciate that. But you need to know that our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors make the show possible. Otherwise, you'd have to, like, insert 75 cents into the machine before you could watch the show. I, we, had, we had someone one time, when I was exploring options with this show, they said, you know, ultimately, we'd love to have the show behind a paywall. We'd love to have to make people pay. <laughs> laugh as I am now, I wouldn't pay to listen to me. I wouldn't pay to watch this show. I certainly don't ever expect you to. Luckily, we do not have to cross that bridge. So I don't expect you to if you ever have to. Because academy.com takes care of it for you. And so all we ask in return humbly is do the stuff you're going to do anyway. Just make sure you gear up at Academy Sports and Outdoors. We'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you did. They'll be glad you did. It's a classic win-win-win scenario. We try and do that as much as possible on the show. Speaking of winning, this next segment will have none of that in it because we are talking about our fine friends at NCAA headquarters in Indianapolis. What are the nine most terrifying words in college football? Well, you don't have to guess. I got them written down right here. I'm from the NCAA and I'm here to help. That's not exactly the Ronald Reagan government quote from back in the 80s, but I am stealing it because it absolutely applies tonight. The NCAA had a golden opportunity this past week. In case you missed it, and judging by the social lives you guys have, you probably did, uh, we don't have any around here, and so we were paying attention. The NCAA Rules Committee, probably the first segment I've ever put my hand on my chin, this is how perplexed I am. The NCAA Rules Committee goes and they meet, and there are two pressing issues, among others, that they met about. You've probably yelled at your TV or the radio if you're, if you're out on the porch and you don't want to listen to the TV announcers. You have probably yelled ad nauseum about these two things, just like I have. One of them is faking injuries. The other is how we enforce targeting right now. Uh, to be clear, because I'm not going to restate this because it's obvious. Nobody on this show, nor in our audience, is against targeting. There's a reason why the rule is in the sport. No one's arguing against the targeting rule. Now that we got that foolishness out of the way, let's continue. This is a very, very divided society we live in. It's, it's even a divided sport that we live in. There's a lot of argument, a lot of, as Tim Brenda would say, angst and anger and bitterness. But you know where we have we've found some overwhelming consensus? In two areas, faking injuries. No one likes it. Pretty much everyone agrees. It's a mockery of the game. And the way that we kick kids out of games blindly anytime they're found guilty of targeting. There's no room for interpretation. There's no room to say, that right there, what we're looking at on YouTube, is a clear launching, helmet to helmet, crown down, get him out of the game. But then we've got other instances where, you know, a ball carrier lowers himself at the last minute after the defender's already committed his body to contact, 
and there is what should be called incidental targeting, it doesn't exist. The official does not have it within his power in the football game to interpret it that way because NCAA rules don't allow him to. So I got bad news for you and I got worse news for you. The bad news is the NCAA rules committee set out to solve these issues this past week. And the worst news is they did what they normally do and they fumbled it horribly. They have proposals though. I'm about to show them to you or read them to you. Uh, they are a couple of wet bags of trash. I'm going to warn you, but I'm going to show them to you. So on the issue of targeting, most of us look at targeting and we see two different kinds of targeting. We see the egregious kind of targeting, which to the rules credit has largely been eradicated from the game because of the rule. So it has done what it was intended to do, but also it's done a lot of things that it was never intended to do. And it's taken a defender, and in many cases, in football games every Saturday, it puts the defender in a no-win situation. Quite literally, you could watch college football any given Saturday and see, I don't know, three, four, five examples, depending on how many games you watch, of guys where they get ejected for targeting, and you look at your TV and you say, I don't know what else he could have done. I have no idea how he could have avoided this. And normally what it is, is it is a defender who is not playing the game in frame by frame slow motion. It's moving like a NASCAR race out on a football field. Unfortunately, a lot of people who write these rules have never found themselves on one of those fields, have never buckled a chin strap or been involved in any kind of high level competition. So they don't grasp this, but plays don't work in slow motion. It's really quick. So when you freeze frame it and you say, this is where he should have pulled up. That's not how the real world out on a football field works. And so a lot of times what you see on Saturday is, is you see a kid commit his body to contact. Once you've committed your body to contact, you know, only a fraction or two of a second is going to pass. But there's enough time when you're moving full speed for that ball carrier to lower his body. You've already committed. You can't change a thing about the trajectory of your body at that point. That ball carrier, though, lowers his upper torso therefore initiating helmet-to-helmet -helmet contact, and I never see running backs get charged with targeting, so the safety is under review, boom, targeting confirmed, he's out of the game. Nothing he could have done. Nothing he could have done. Now, you and I watch that, and we clearly realize there's a difference in the headhunting that we wanted to eradicate from the game and what that kid for Marshall just did, but yet the NCAA rules as currently written do not acknowledge that. Well, they met about that, so I'm going to read you the proposal, and then I'm going to show you a quote after that. Here's the proposal that the NCAA arrived at, uh, solving absolutely nothing in the process. <sighs> I, want to, I want to breathe deeply because I'm going to get mad reading this, but I want to try and remove my emotions. Okay, here we go. In games that have instant replay, when a targeting foul occurs in the second half, the carryover penalty, or the fact that you have to sit out the first half of next week's game, will be eligible for further appeal. That's it. That's all they concluded. They never even so much as broached the idea of differentiating between flagrant and intentional. They said, okay, well, we got a problem that's over here, so let's look way over in this corner and let's decide that if you get targeted called on you in a second half, we're gonna, we're gonna let you appeal. And if we find that we were wrong, we're gonna give you the first half of next week's game. I told you, these are wet bags of trash. They're not proposals, they're wet bags of trash. Let's take a look at what David Shaw said. David Shaw is a great football coach. I'm thoroughly disappointed that he has to be the chair of the rules committee. I, I don't know how much he believes the words that came out of his mouth here, full disclosure. He may be speaking for a committee, 
for all I know, he fought against this. So I'm just going to tell you, these are the words that he offered. Quote, the committee strongly supports the targeting rule and believes it continues to directly support player health and safety and technique. Adjustments have been made in recent years to ensure proper enforcement, which is very important given the significant penalty associated with the rule. Okay, so that, that says nothing about nothing. So we did nothing to cure the actual issue that exists with targeting right now. Uh, we put in some bootleg proposal that still has to be confirmed, by the way, wherein if you get flagged in the second half, you may have an outside shot of getting the first half of next week's game back. And by the way, they're not telling you if we flag you with targeting and then we go back upon appeal and look at it and it wasn't that bad that we're going to give you the first half back next week. No, they are still not willing to differentiate at all between flagrant and incidental. Therefore, that matter. That scenario plays out we just talked about. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if there's a thing you could have done about it or not. If you get flagged for targeting and our review says that it was confirmed, then hey, you're, you're out first half of next week. Uh, as I said, pathetic. We move on. On the issue of faking injuries. A lot of you remember that Tennessee Ole Miss game from this past year. Most of us watched that. I was there on the field in person thinking to myself, this is a mockery of the game. There's no way this is the way football is supposed to be played. And it wasn't even like they were trying to hide it. And there's just a running joke now. Quite literally, after the NCAA passed what I'm about to tell you they proposed, at least, Lane Kiffin tagged Tennessee football on Twitter. That's how big a joke it is. Even the offenders of the rule are laughing openly. They know there's no recourse. We can do it as many times as we want to right now. Oh, but can you? Because the NCAA has a proposal. Here's what they came up with. If you thought the first part was pathetic, how about this? On the topic of faking injury, I'm not saying Ole Miss is the only offender, by the way, as we show, as Colin shows B-roll of Tennessee doing the same thing. I am merely pointing out an example. Okay, now here we go. This is from the NCAA. To address teams that are awarded an injury timeout through deceptive actions, the committee proposed a reporting and investigatory process. Sounds great. They handle investigations so well already. Let's add more to their plate. Schools and conferences would be able to report questionable scenarios to the national coordinator of officials who will review and provide feedback to the conference for further action. Any penalties levied would be up to the conference or the school involved. Nothing, absolutely nothing about nothing was addressed there that would have substantive change associated with it. Here is David Shaw, again, the rules committee chair on this wet bag of trash of a proposal. He said, it is very difficult to legislate ethics, particularly when an injury timeout is being used to gain an advantage. The small number of teams that seem to use these tactics should be addressed directly. This is, this is called dead air. It's unprofessional, but sometimes in lieu of saying what I'm thinking, because I do know that we don't just have sailors and truckers listening to the show, we do have families listening, I've got to choose my words carefully. So this is me slowing down to choose my words carefully. I know what most of you think about this because you have common sense about yourself. I think the same thing. They had a problem in one corner to solve. It was very clear. And yet they went over into the other corner of the room and they solved nothing. These people would screw up a paint by numbers. It's insane how straightforward and easy these things should be to solve. If you want to stop the faking of injuries, then 
Make there be punitive measures when you fake injuries. David Shaw says we can't legislate ethics. Remove you legislating ethics entirely from it. Have a hard and fast rule that if you go down and you cannot physically get yourself off a football field and we have to stop play, you're out for the rest of the series. That's it. No interpretation needed. If you're that hurt, then you will not finish the series. Boom. That's it. Don't worry about it. Instead, the NCAA comes up and says, no, that's fine, though. We don't need to do it that way. We're going to have a reporting process and then a subsequent investigatory process, like it's Neighborhood Watch or something. This is a football game. It's college football. It sounds like four months would pass before they decided whether you were actually guilty of faking injuries or not. Can't wait to watch that. Because, again, this is a governing body that is so great thus far at investigating. Arizona State expects to hear from them sometime in the 2030s about their ongoing NCAA investigation. We move to targeting. If you want to fix targeting, acknowledge the obvious. This earpiece coming out is one of them. If you want to fix targeting, acknowledge the obvious. And that is that there is a clear distinction between an intentional malicious targeting foul and an incidental targeting foul. Like all of us with two eyeballs and a functioning brain can see every Saturday. Instead, the NCAA says, uh, no, but don't worry. We are addressing this. We may give you the first half of next week back if you commit it in the second half. How's that for everyone? And then they put their fingers in their ears and they walk away. They got paid for this. These people get paid money to make these decisions. It's insanity, pure insanity. I, I, why can't you guys just be cool for one day? Why can't you just do the right thing for one day? It's so simple, so simple. I, I'm at a loss for words. I have no words. In the words of Michael Scott, I have no words. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'll tell you what they're doing, though, tonight, and I appreciate it. I, I know a lot of you guys in Indianapolis are watching, but I don't want to shout out Indianapolis right now because the bad man lives in Indianapolis, and I don't mean Steve Wolfong. They're watching us in San Angelo, Texas tonight. Thank you so much. They're watching us in Tupelo in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Thank you so much. And I think they're watching us in South Bend, which is where our next stop is. Mood Tracker series continuing tonight. The Mood Tracker is just a temperature of the fan base. How you feeling? Now, we have certain protocol around here, and it stands to reason we had to wait. We had to hit the pause button on doing the Notre Dame mood tracker because they've had coaching turnover up there, but not quite like they've had in other places. It turns out Notre Dame already had their head coaching candidate right there in-house, promoting from within. What a novel concept. Maybe more programs, dare I say, will be trying this in the not-too-distant future. Notre Dame folks are jacked, but that's not the mood I'm going to go with. I was over on irishillustrated.com earlier today, which is our fine Notre Dame site, 
and I put it to, not a vote, but I put it to the board there, and I said, fill in the blank. My current mood towards Notre Dame football is what? And I absorbed all the answers there, because they're all excited. I mean, it's not that they think this is a slam dunk, but they're all excited, which leads me to share with you what the mood at Notre Dame is. The mood tracker at Notre Dame right now is on the top rope. If you've ever watched someone go to the top rope, they understand the risk. It's called a high-risk maneuver for a reason. You could crash and burn entirely. Kurt Angle made an entire career of doing moonsaults off the top rope that never landed. He didn't trust that he could land it, so the only time he did it was just show, look, I can do a backflip. Marcus Freeman has the entire Notre Dame fan base ready to ascend to the top rope. They normally used ground tactics. You know, they were, they were mat wrestlers, if you will, under Brian Kelly. Well, those folks are up on the top rope right now. It's like watching a 300-pounder up there, and you say, you don't normally go to the top rope. Well, they are now. Something's changed. A little bit of an attitude has changed about the Notre Dame fan base, and it's a common theme. That's why I don't even really feel all that reserved about putting it this way. They seem to, to a vast majority, feel this way. It's not that they aren't aware there is a risk in going to the top rope, just like there's a risk in elevating a guy to the head coaching position that hasn't even been a defensive coordinator for all that too terribly long and has never been a head coach. Yeah, there's risk in that. They're willing to accept it because these folks think that the reward with Marcus Freeman being the head coach there could be higher than what they achieved under Brian Kelly. You know my thoughts about Brian Kelly. I've been supremely high on him. I thought even though they've made the playoff a couple of times, I, I thought he was underrated as a head coach there because I think people incorrectly interpreted Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. But that's in the past now. So now you got Marcus Freeman there and the Notre Dame fan base, it's not that they didn't appreciate Brian Kelly, it's quite the opposite. But there is a, I would say, a consensus around Notre Dame circles that however high they were going to fly under Brian Kelly, they had reached the summit. I mean, they, re, they, they had bent their head up against the ceiling of whatever Irish football was going to be under Brian Kelly. Now, they're removing the safety net. Because there was a safety net under the program with Brian Kelly. You were never going to be terrible for long. You were never even going to be average for long. You were going to float in the above average to really good range. Now they want to take the chance, take the risk that's necessary to find out if they can ever be elite. Can they pop a season on someone where they don't have to go into a playoff and say, yeah, but I mean, unless this, this, and this happens, we can't beat Clemson. Unless this, this, and this happens, we can't beat Alabama. They're too talented. They see Marcus Freeman, just like Mel Tucker at Michigan State, quite frankly, and they see a guy that potentially can break the recruiting mold of Notre Dame football. And a very limited sample size, but he kind of just did it already. And they expect that to continue. But that's not the only reason. There's another reason why they're willing to accept the risk. The Notre Dame fans, Notre Dame fans look around. They know there's risk in hiring a guy or elevating a guy, rather, that's never been a head coach. But they're willing to accept the risk reward because of another key reason. And I can't really make sense of this. You just get it if you're around Notre Dame. There's a certain set of characteristics that all Irish folks know it takes to embrace Notre Dame. It's not for everyone, and everyone's not cut out for Notre Dame, whether it be as a player, sometimes as a fan, but especially as a head coach. Just a certain set of something you have to have. And you package all that up, and it's called, well, a group of characteristics. Brian Kelly had enough of them, but they think Marcus Freeman's got all of them. And Marcus Freeman's a guy with options. And, for that matter, that coaching staff he put together there, those are guys with options. And they chose Notre Dame. That's no small thing. You live in Reno, Nevada. You've never 
you've never been east of the Rockies, and certainly you've never visited campus there, you've never taken any game in South Bend, you don't know anyone who went to Notre Dame, may not make a lot of sense to you. But you probably do have something special in your life. You probably do have something that you hold dear in your life, and you get what it's about. Even if you can't articulate it, you get what is special about that thing in your life and what separates it. And you know, a lot of people wouldn't get it, and you can only let a very few select people in on it because only a very few select people will appreciate it. Well, that thing for these folks is Notre Dame football and Notre Dame in general, to be clear. And Marcus Freeman gets it, and he got it, and he chose Notre Dame. That means a lot to them. It means a whole lot. It means more than probably anyone, including me, outside of that Notre Dame circle can know. But I do get it in theory, at least. And so he chose Notre Dame, and boy, they've chosen him. Again, we got a situation here in South Bend, Indiana, in uh, Norman, Oklahoma. Both of these really kind of resemble that whole thing that Sam Pittman's been able to create at Arkansas. It's, it's the difference in looking at your head coach and saying him and looking at your head coach and saying, we, us. Here's a difference. They won with Brian Kelly. It was great. Uh, but they look at Marcus Freeman and they say some things about him they didn't say about Brian Kelly. They never really said we about Brian Kelly. It was a him situation. Uh, they understood each other. Brian Kelly understood Notre Dame. Notre Dame understood Brian Kelly. They, they were mutually beneficial for each other. But when they've looked at Marcus Freeman, just a, a different kind of gleam in the eye, a gleam in the eye when you look at Marcus Freeman. But also, and this kind of resonates nationally, they promoted from within. Now, this is another program that's trying to capture what, for example, Ohio State has captured under Ryan Day. A lot of you watched this last wild coaching carousel cycle, and you saw some places where it was a new headline every day, and did they get it right? Did they not get it right? And that's not just last cycle, that's every cycle. And then you watch some places, Notre Dame's one of them, where it was promoted from within, didn't even have to leave campus if they didn't want to. They had the guy there. It's impossible for us to know Marcus Freeman as well as the folks at Notre Dame know Marcus Freeman. Uh, there, there are going to be many things written about this guy early on, unfairly so, because it is way too early to judge him. In year one, I think it's always too early to judge a head coach, but especially Marcus Freeman's going to be too early to judge him, but that won't stop people from doing it. But I will say this. I trust my eye. I trust my judgment. I trust my opinion. But there are some things where I will defer. And on this, this culture fit and this acceptance and this we versus him deal, I defer to the fan base because they're always the first to know. The folks closest to the program sometimes can be myopic on certain things. But on this sort of thing, the fan base is the first to know. So you hear Notre Dame fans talking with a certain reverence towards a guy who's never coached a game there. Well, it can't be because of his track record. It can't be because of his win-loss record. So there's something intangible in nature. I can't quantify it now, and I can't tell you how many wins that's worth or how many additional four- and five-star kids that's worth per cycle. I can just tell you it matters. Some degree, whether great or small, it matters. They know they've got it, or they strongly believe they've got it. And so that is why the mood tracker at Notre Dame right now is on the top rope. You could crash and burn, or you could land it, pin them for the one, two, three, and then have some hardware in your trophy case that you haven't seen in quite a while in South Bend, Indiana. Let's move on here. I don't know what it is about the earpiece. I use the same one every week. It's been in my book bag. We had a question that I think we need to answer. And producer Jesse said, yeah, we got to hit this one. It's easy to forget sometimes that our audience has doubled over the past half year. This past season, we more than doubled our audience. And with that, 
comes obviously a lot of new eyeballs and a lot of new ears, and we welcome all you guys. But if you're new around here, you've probably noticed we use a set of words and phrases. We got our own kind of language, and some of it probably doesn't make a lick of sense to you, including the term Renaissance season. So Stan the Man Wright hit us up on Twitter. He said, as a new viewer, I've heard you mention Renaissance season, but what does that mean exactly? Uh, Stan, the man, that's a great question. And one that, frankly, I should probably be addressing week over week, because we got new people coming to the uh, table week over week. Renaissance season is how we, way back last summer, decided to start referring to the upcoming 2021 college football season. Now, the thinking was twofold there. Uh, we had this perfect confluence of events coming together. You should also know I love the word confluence if you're new here. You'll learn that in time. But when I started looking at these two things coming together, one of them being romanticism and the other just being reality, I said, if these converge the way we think it will, it's going to be an incredible season, a renaissance season, a season that makes you hearken back to a lot of the aspects about this game you thought may have disappeared. The romanticism was that you had something that a lot of folks tried to take away from you. We're looking at Big Ten footage. I don't need to remind you guys how perilously close we came to just having the Big Ten powers that be take the season away from you. And even though we had a season, it certainly wasn't a normal season during 2021. Uh, some of that was within our control. A lot more of it was outside of our control. I'm not here to relitigate that. But that was 2020, not 2021. But the point was, 2021, you were getting back a lot of stuff that you had never had taken from you before. And all of a sudden, you had to experience not going to a game, not seeing your buddies every Saturday, not going back to that town you love to visit about six or seven times uh, per fall and winter. You got to experience full stadiums again. A lot of that had a very renaissance feel to it, a lot of throwback feel to it. I was on the road 16 weeks in a row. I was in a stadium every week. I can confirm it was that and then some. But then the reality aspect was the COVID senior rule. That thing was huge this past year because all of a sudden it made a lot of guys that previously would not have been able to play another year of college football eligible to play another year of college football. Well, what did that do? I think, and I'll read you some stats that I think confirm this, I thought all along it was going to disproportionately benefit the mid-tier teams. Alabama was going to be Alabama. George <laughs> Colin, <laughs> he's, he's rolling some footage I've never seen us use before. Um, and, and you saw a lot of upsets, I believe, in large part because of the COVID senior rule. Well, I was looking earlier today, and one of our buddies uh, at CFB Kings on Twitter, I want to give proper credit here, had a whole lot of really interesting stats that I want to present. Because see, a lot of people said, well, was it a renaissance season, though? I mean, you talk about renaissance season, how great it was. All I saw was an all-SEC national championship game. How is that a renaissance season? Well, it's a renaissance season because of the word season. That's why on this show, we do not worship the playoff. We love the regular season. Our passion revolves around the regular season. Saturdays in the fall. It'll one day be on a late-kick Pate State t-shirt. Not too far down the road from now, by the way. We love that. So how was the season? We don't judge the quality of a season by two games in a playoff in NFL stadiums a thousand miles away in January. Well, I'll tell you how the season went. Again, these stats from our buddy at CFB Kings. Listen to this. This all happened in one year. 13 ranked teams lost in the first two weeks of the season. That is the most in AP poll history. 25 ranked teams lost in the first four weeks of the season. Again, most in AP poll history. 
34 ranked teams lost in the first five weeks. That is the most in AP poll history. It continues. 47 ranked teams lost in the first seven weeks. That ties for most in AP poll history. A&M snapped Alabama's 100-game win streak against unranked opponents. That goes all the way back to 2007. That's the last time Bama had lost to an unranked team. Wake Forest started 8-0, first time in program history. Texas and Oklahoma, a game that I was at, Red River Shootout, they combined for 103 points. That is the highest scoring game in series history. Normally, I don't like those pinball shootout type games that total in the hundreds, but this is the exception. I thought it was the best regular season game and perhaps the best environment, all things considered, that I experienced all year. We had a G5 team make the playoff for the first time in history. They told you it could never happen. We told you keep the faith. Yes, at the end of the day, of all people, we ended up waving the G5 flag on this show. Also, it's hard to remember back this far, but I always believe in this. You go through May and June and July and August, or as you might know it, preview magazine season, and you read and you read and you read, but then everyone forgets what those magazines said by like week two. Well, don't forget, because it kind of is imperative for me to properly frame just how much of a renaissance season we had. Clemson was all over those magazines. Ohio State was all over those magazines. Oklahoma was the preseason number one. And Bama, those were the four slam dunks to make the playoff. In fact, I had a lot of folks. I remember us doing the Q&A segments in August. A lot of people were saying, this season's going to be a waste of time. Same old, same old, more of the same. I can tell you right now, before we ever play the season, Ohio State's winning the Big Ten. <clears throat> Oklahoma's winning the Big 12. <clears throat> Clemson's absolutely winning the ACC. <clears throat> Bama's the only one that even won their conference much less made the playoff. Yes, it was a renaissance season. Begs the question, many of you have already asked me this, what's the 2022 theme going to be? I don't know. We had the renaissance tour in 2021. We got a little while to figure that out. It'll come to us. Not just me. It'll come to us. We'll figure out how we want to frame this 2022 season, what we'll call the tour. I think we'll have even more fun with it than we did this last tour, to be honest with you. You know, uh, we were sitting around putting the show together, and I thought we had it all laid out, and, and it was done, and we were good to go. And then something happened. And if you've been out and about today, and you're just tuning into the show, you may not even know that we've had big news break in the last few hours. Uh, so for our friends down in Thibodeau, Louisiana, and Hammond, Louisiana, Kinder, Louisiana, see, that's off the beaten path. That's not New Orleans and Baton Rouge. You guys are going to be particularly intrigued by this. Question from Baton Rouge One, or at Lively LSU Baton. Uh, he said, what does Pate State think about LSU bringing in Jaden Daniels? A lot of quarterbacks in there now. For those of you who weren't aware of this, yes, Jaden Daniels, that higher profile transfer from Arizona State. He's not in the portal anymore. He has portaled. It's a verb. Get used to it. Jaden Daniels has officially portaled to LSU. What a quarterback room now. I'm going to talk about that in just a second, but to remind you, he was the number one dual threat quarterback in the country in 2019. Obviously played a couple of years at Arizona State. Now he is a grad transfer, but because of that lingering COVID eligibility deal, he's got two years left that he can play if he so chooses. Huge variance in opinion here. I told you this a couple of weeks ago when he first went in the portal. There's a camp when you talk to him that says, uh, he's a guy that is too risky you know, too erratic, and so probably not going to be worth a lot of the hype that's going to be around him. But then there's another camp. These are both informed camps, just differing opinions. There's another camp that says, haven't even scratched the surface of his potential because he hasn't been 
planted in the proper garden, so to speak. And that's essentially saying wasn't in an environment out there at Arizona State conducive to showcasing his skill set and developing his skill set. Okay, now the fun part is he's going to go to a place where his head coach and that staff, they know how to develop quarterbacks. They know how to get every ounce of potential out of those quarterbacks. Which brings me to the quarterback room at LSU. Have you looked at it? In the last couple of hours, it sure has changed. So now in the quarterback room, you got Jaden Daniels, recent transfer just in the last couple of hours. Miles Brennan, who went into the portal but came back out. He's at LSU. Garrett Nussmeyer, remember that name? We were talking about him a lot on signing day last year. Well, he's now a redshirt freshman. And Walker Howard, high-profile kid who just enrolled, and he's already on campus. So these dudes are going to be there for spring, and it's going to be very competitive. Uh, this almost certainly means that all four of those names won't be on the roster uh, this time next year. Look, we all get that. But I am always a believer in stacking as much talent in these quarterback rooms as you possibly can. There's no downside to it. And some folks foolishly would tell you, oh, yeah, there is a downside because you could scare away some of the good options. If they get scared away, they weren't the best option. It's a process of elimination. That's a natural filtration process. That's like if, you're, if Brian Kelly's recruiting, you know, and he's, he's down there in uh, the, the, what did I say? Kinder. I think Kinder. He's down in Hammond or Kinder, Louisiana, and he's recruiting a kid. And he's five-star. We, we got him listed as five-star. Shame on us because he looks at Brian Kelly and says, I'm only coming to LSU if you promise me playing time. You can either look at Brian Kelly and you could say, ooh, now you got to promise him because if you don't, you risk a good player going elsewhere. He's not cut out for you if, if he demands playing time as part of the package to get him there. Well, it's the same way here. Put as much talent as you can in that quarterback room. It'll sort itself out. But you can promise yourself this. What you're left with are the guys that you were always meant to be left with, I guess is the best way to put it. So that'll work itself out. But also, this is the modern age of college football. I want you to listen to these numbers and imagine telling yourself, if you're an LSU fan, this number. You live in Alexandria, Louisiana. Imagine telling yourself this in 2009. There's going to come a day in 2022 where Brian Kelly is going to be our head coach. That's the first thing I want you to tell yourself. And then the second thing I want you to tell yourself is we're going to have 15 kids in our signing class from high school. And then we're going to have 14 transfers, and we're still going to have three spots left as we enter spring. So you run the numbers there. I had our stats and info crunch them. 15 high school kids currently, 14 from the portal, three spots left. I think we're pretty much done recruiting the high school ranks for this cycle. Uh, they are at least in a position to be active in the transfer portal now, but especially after spring ball, they're going to end up having more portal kids than high school kids. That's the new reality of college football. It also makes it it makes it at least theoretically possible to rapidly overhaul a roster with kids who already have college experience. Will it work out? Well, that's why we're going to watch the games. That's why they're about to tee it up. I think, Jesse, you said later in March, March 23rd, I thought it was, when they start spring practice. Whew, 15, and I'm looking at the number and it's crazy. 15 high school kids, 14 portal kids. But Jaden Daniels to LSU, be very interested to see what you guys think about that. Um, at the very least, I'm intrigued by the quarterback room. This time last year, I thought LSU had one of the best quarterback rooms. Uh, one of our buddies, Tim Watts, always makes fun of me for saying that. Number one, because he bastardizes my quote, which he's one to do. And number two, because the quarterback room ended up not being what it looked like it would be. Well, that's why I said at the time in the spring it was. So right now, I'm looking at one, two, three, four names, which should have varying degrees of excitement surrounding them. Chances are that room's not going to look the same by the time they tee it up week one in the fall. 
I'm going to say the same thing about LSU quarterbacks now. I said this time last year. That's one of the better-looking quarterback rooms in the country. And Tim Watts, I hope you're down in Alabaster, Alabama listening, because I mean every word of it. I sincerely thank you guys for watching tonight. Wherever you have been, uh, I'm giving shout-outs on the show, so you let me know where you're living, where you're watching the show, and I will make sure to fit in as much as I can. Uh, again, the request for this particular show, and any show, make sure you are subscribing to the podcast. All these things help us out. Some of you are so sharp, you actually email me and ask me, I'm going to listen to the show either way. Which way does it help you guys the most? Do you want me to watch it on YouTube? you want me to listen to it? We're fine either way. Academy Sports and Outdoors make sure of that. But it does help us numbers-wise if you subscribe to the pod. I should have been saying that all along. Well, I'm emphasizing it now. Uh, so other than that, at Lake Kick Josh, Twitter and Instagram, I'll see you guys there throughout the week. Thank you so much. Numbers have been great. Overly appreciative. Can't say it enough. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, our entire production executive staff, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.